is a sustainabilist, a keynote speaker, and focused entrepreneur. Autumn specializes in sustainable product development, tech-driven vehicles, and delivering the future of mobility to the everyday commuter and logistics sector. One Moto has operations in 10 countries, including the UAE, UK, and India, and Adam has pledged to showcase One Moto's journey towards creating a more equitable and sustainable world. Adam moved to the UAE in 2008, where he built a portfolio of startup companies of respected brands under the MediaCube group with a collective of fantastic award-winning clients a proud portfolio and a team that supported the vision of the business he exited in 2019. Before moving to the UAE, he spent a decade in the media industry in Europe in front of and behind the camera for production companies, including the BBC, Channel 4 and Tiger Aspect. With a love for story showing and seeking out experiences, he's a creative businessman with a mission to bring change. Adam Richway, welcome to the Life Lab. Thank you so much. What an introduction that was. That, that was a big introduction, <laughs> all about your your past and how you got here. But um, I wanted to start with just a little bit more about your background, because I mentioned in the intro that you uh, built and exited four companies, and that was a travel content company, a media content company, a marketing company. Can you tell us a bit about, about your background in, those, in building and exiting those companies and how you founded OneMoto? Yeah, so in 2008, as you said, um, I moved over here and I had a TV career in the UK. So I wanted to embellish and, and sort of blossom in the UAE where TV content wasn't necessarily as, as original content, but there's mm. a lot of acquisitions and that's what the audience wanted. So I was brought over here to start developing TV formats and, and so on. And I found that with Dubai, I loved it. I loved exploring. I loved the adventure and the experiences but it just wasn't quite enough. And uh, and I, I was just hearing no too much. And I don't know whether it's just character thing. I just don't really like the word no. So I decided to build my own company, which was called Media Cube, because I believe that the three dimensions of media, production, creative and talent, anything within media falls into one of those three, hence the name Media Cubed. So I set Media Cubed up as this overarching all-encompassing media agency. You want TV content or you want uh, video content, we can do it. You want still imagery, we can do it. You want marketing campaigns, branding, advertising, casting, we can do everything. Mm. But that company failed. So 2008 into 2009, it was a subscription-based and no one, like the, 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 the world was, was on its knees. No one was employing, so yeah. it, it didn't work. But I knew that the foundations, or I believed the foundations were right. So I fractured the company into AdBrand, which is an advertising branding agency, mm -hmm. .casting, which is a casting and talent management um, company. Then we had uh, Video, which was the video production. And then a few years later, we had Travel, which was travel tourism content. Mm -hmm. And each of those independently worked. So in the events industry, when uh, .casting during the summer was, was dead in terms of business, the others backed and supported them. Okay. So after about 12 years... I'd, I'd done everything in that career. I'd, I'd built brands. I've rebranded some of the largest companies. I've worked on private labeling for companies. All the creative juices were, I wouldn't say spent, but there was I could, there was nothing more to achieve. You wanted to do something new. Absolutely. And uh, One Moto was a scene opportunity in 2016. If we're getting everything delivered, is you know what society are we in? Is there there's an opportunity there? Is anyone building electric delivery bikes? No, why not? It's the unsexy side of EV, but mm. it could solve a problem. And then we just started looking into it, and I aggregated a team of, do you think that this is possible? Should we give it a go? And um, 
and then it was around the same sort of time towards the end of 19 2019 yeah sorry 2019 where I thought I'm becoming a father for the first time I've just bought a house just renovated I'm turning 40 in a few months do I want to be doing the same thing for the next 10 years Mm. or do I want to challenge myself yet again and do something that can make a difference and one motor was a side project for a few years it just got too big and I thought I'm going all in so you started it as a kind of side thing yeah and then you you realize okay the the opportunity is there and i'm going to go for it absolutely because it's, it's it, in the uae it didn't exist before yeah. we were here right so we were the first two-wheeled ev manufacturer in in the country or in the region actually so we looked at there's got to be a reason why it doesn't exist and, and why was that there was just no one was doing it no one i don't or could I'd like no one could do it other people could do it but no one had the Drive, like the, the, the tenacity drive. to yeah, stick it out. to explore it. Because you would have had to, you got all of, created all the licenses necessary. All of yeah, that wasn't we, there, right? Absolutely. Was, we co-wrote the legislation policies with RTA and ESMA. So their acceptance and openness for this was incredible. Mm. Otherwise we wouldn't be here. But 18 months it took to get these certifications. And although it was very challenging and it got to a point, it was about two weeks before this 18 months, and the CEO of this one organization put his hand on my forearm. He said, Adam, have you ever done this before? And he could see that I was frustrated. You were like, I can't do this. I like, no, I haven't. He said, nor have we. So you Let's just work need together. to. But the, the understanding of it was amazing because if the government, especially when it comes to transport, make a regulation, they want to make one decision, make it right. Mm. Because there's too much at risk, mm-hmm. not just for the people on the roads that you say use the vehicles Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the accidents and fatalities and Mm. all of that stuff that could happen with with uh, vehicles but you want to make a decision and and show off that you made the right decision Mm -hmm. so it was was such a collaborative effort but Mm -hmm. with the right mindset you can achieve anything well i mean you're a a proof case for that i mean with one moto just so people know you have the b2b which is the last mile delivery which the electric bike the motor bikes and then you have the b2c which is all of the scooters and the bicycles but when you were creating the you know the, the electric vehicles for the last mile delivery you yourself went out and worked as a delivery driver right for months absolutely to make sure that the model that you were the prototype was going to work yeah so there's there's a lot of r&d that goes into mm. developing and um, this and i actually went and spoke to one customer when i had the idea and it was fortunate because i could utilize the network that i'd built with my other companies mm. i said what do you need from a delivery bike tell me tell me everything and they, they did and i thought right let's go to the you know the the r&d let's work on creating this future-proof technology that is so modular that if and as and when technology does advance, then you're able to um, to move with it. So you, you're almost making yourself defensible, and that's exactly what we what we did. So when when we look at R and D, that's incredibly important. You need to know what your customers want, and mm. the only way to do that is actually by asking them. So and these so, customers are like the the last mile delivery people of the world, like the yeah. Kareem's, the deliveries, the... Absolutely. Yeah. I actually went and asked Kareem and I okay. said to them, you know, what do you need from a bike? They told me and I thought, right, that's what they need now. But what about the future? What about when the batteries get bigger, smaller, mm. more powerful? What about when the motors, how can we build this drivetrain and the vehicles that are so modular, but then also thinking, right, that's suiting the purpose now and making that as defensible as possible. But what about the other markets? 
So I've had this global vision for One Moto right from day dot of how do I build a global brand? I've never done it before. I've built, you know, a brand that's mm. say, successful or semi-successful in, in the, the UAE. I've had businesses in the UK that, you know, did, did okay, but I'd never built something global. And that was really my, my biggest challenge. And the delivery bikes, which are, or say the last mile is 90% of our focus now. Okay. It's the lifestyle choice or the use case in other markets where you might have a, um, a moped to get to college, mm-hmm. but then of an evening you might be doing some gig work. So some delivery work or at the weekend, your parents need it and they go shopping or you want right. to go to the beach or cafe with friends. So it's that use case. We need to make sure that these vehicles are modular, that they suit absolutely everyone. So they're very versatile. Absolutely. Mm. And whatever your tastes are right now, they won't be in a few years time, but you don't need to build or buy a new vehicle just because it's new. Mm-hmm. So then we look to the psychology and the patterns of buying behavior. Why do you buy a new car? Might have a, um, might be more expensive to fix your current car. Okay. Or it might look slightly differently or it might have less buttons or a better screen or whatever the little gadgets are. But you don't really buy a vehicle because of the of how it looks. It's more circumstantial. Right. Or cost-driven. So I thought if that's the case, I'll just build modular vehicles. So if you want something that looks like this and then over time your tastes change, you don't have to buy a new vehicle. So you create that ecosystem. I wouldn't say circular economy, but Mm -hmm. we're working towards it. But you build that ecosystem. And I felt like we were on the right path. And the the customers, when they were telling us what they wanted, wanted, it was, well, I've just got to deliver that. And it seemed quite logical and easy at the time. But it was obviously, you must have had a lot of challenges getting people to accept this new concept, this disruptive technology, especially in a market that's very traditional when it comes to vehicles. How did you, like, what what was the resistance like at the beginning and how did you overcome it? Oh, it was huge. It still is, I suppose, to some extent. When we, so we hard launched in 2020. Two months later, this was in January, two months later, COVID hit. Oh God. So we took okay. a board decision of let's not focus on sales. It's pointless mm. because customers... No one can go anywhere. <laughs> exactly. No yeah. one can go anywhere. But the delivery market is booming. That's Everything's true, actually. Getting delivered. That, yeah. But then the supply chain wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. in full flow. But then when we looked at the, the I suppose, the overall um, market, we thought if everyone's getting everything delivered, we know that there's a market fit. But yeah, if customers may be employed today and not tomorrow, mm-hmm. or decision makers may be interchanging. But then you have the sort of mindset shift of CapEx is now a real consideration. Mm. So capital expenditure, you're front loading the cost of buying something against the operational expenses of, of leasing. Right. So customers wanted to buy, no, they wanted to lease and they were flip-flopping between the two. Okay. Well, it's pointless trying to chase that. Otherwise, you you may be lucky here and there, but your time has got to be bang on. Mm-hmm. So we thought, let's not focus on sales the first or in 2020. Let's go through that knowledge transfer. And it was it was challenging. There was a few champions, very, very few in certain organizations that wanted to learn about sustainable mobility. But even though 40% of them had some sort of interest, there was a want versus need. Mm-hmm. I quite like this, but I don't need to. Mm-hmm. It was It was that you know, satisfying their, their, their own, um, interest. But then when you start talking commerciality and you can save 74% by operating electric fleet to petrol and, it, and it's not, that's actually true. 74%. Yeah. Like I don't make up statistics. No, I know you don't. It's like, but even sort of in preparation for this interview with you, 
you know, I was talking about you to some people and they were just in disbelief that this could actually be cheaper, a cheaper way to, to do last mile delivery than the traditional way. It's incredible. Way. The research they that we've done... They just don't believe it. Is, so as an operator, mm. so a fleet operator, so how it works in, in the UAE is you'll have a delivery aggregator, one of the large marketed uh, companies, and then you'll have the three PLs, so the third-party logistics that will own the asset, they'll employ the riders, provide insurances and so on. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that have the contracts with the delivery operators. operators. And then, then you've got the likes of us that provide the vehicles. So we need to then sell to the three PLs and the three PLs then provide to the aggregators. Mm -hmm. That in itself, there's a few too many layers within mm. that to, to get so those quick decisions. It's a bit complex, yeah. It really is. But what we've found is the, the, the cost savings, this is where it comes down to science in a way and maths, which I was terrible at. But if you have the maths of it costs you this per gallon of fuel or this. litre of fuel, you've then got um, these kilometres per day. Mm. That's a fairly simple calculation. But then when you've got the telemetry, so the optimization of the vehicles, you can then have micro zones, so smaller zones, meaning the riders can nearly treble productivity, reduce the hours on the road, and some of them, it really, really upsets me how many hours they are, I wouldn't say forced to do, that would be wrong, mm. they're incentivized to do. Okay. Because the more deliveries they do, the more money, money they, they earn, make. But the more hours they work, the more hours they work, the tired, more tired they get. And the more, more accidents. Fatigue so many more accidents so by optimizing routes increasing productivity reducing the commerciality or the costs it then reduces um the riders expenses because at the moment they pay between six and eight hundred dirhams a month for fuel okay and if you can offset that or take that away well, sorry just to give you an idea six to eight hundred dirhams a month is 29 percent of their gross annual salary okay that's nearly 30 percent just to go and do a job I wouldn't pay that. I wouldn't expect anyone else to. Wow, so when yeah. you start looking at that, it all makes sense. Mm. Stacks up commercially. If you've got a champion within the organisation where sustainability is a thing, then that is that leverage to um, to make a difference or to start pioneering mm -hmm. a change within the organisation. Mm -hmm. And over time, we've seen it. And there are some incredible people that have made this happen. Really, and I mean, back to when you were saying about one moto being a global brand one moto meets 15 out of the 17 un um sustainability development goals can you was that planned or did you know how did that come about and can you give some context on that yeah from building brands for so many companies as well as ourselves it's all about the values mm. what values do you have not just as a as a business owner or a leader of that organization but how can, a, and a brand, a lot of people think it's a logo or a business card. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's your, I believe values. it's your, the values, but it's the, the perception of your, from your customers of your product and service. That to me is, is a brand. And if you can build that, that really comes down to values. Mm -hmm. Do your values mirror those of your customers? If they do, then you've got more chance of success. So we, we built um, one motor and I looked at why would people buy or use one of our vehicles or what do we need to show them and there's a wonderful quote um sorry wonderful quote because i use it because i've come up with it is show your audience everything tell them nothing because if you're telling a story and telling them how good it is that's marketing mm. whereas if you can show them or have other people show them that becomes more pr that's more of a a sale or a story that's that's being shown so which is more valuable I believe so. so. I believe so too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would we both believe that? Um, 
And yeah, so we've got sustainability of the environment. Then we've got experience, affordability, technology, and convenience. So we've those five values. Everything that we communicate is one on, on one of those pillars. Mm-hmm. So sustainability, yes, it's more sustainable mobility than um, ice engines or petrol, diesel, mm. whatever it may be. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the solution in every market. Mm-hmm. But what does sustainability mean to us? We can't just say we sell and produce electric vehicles. It's it needs to be within the core. So it has to be within the core of the team. Otherwise, we won't work together. Mm. And um, there's a company called Future Plus in the UK that just through the network and I don't know, the laws of attraction and so on, um, I, I started working with them and, and they set out the framework or help you set the framework to what you want your organisation to be guided by. So they're kind of like a consultancy? Of sorts, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a web platform. Okay, where you Future can, Plus. The future, future-plus.co.uk, okay. free plug. And they... They help you go through the various different criteria. I think there's five different categories and they set them policies. Okay. Or you have to set policies and then, then upload them. Then it's audited. And we've taken these 39 policies and put those into our entire supply and value chain. So if people don't work alongside them, we won't work with them. And there's companies here that are our customers that we refuse to work with because they don't, they oh. categorically don't even try to have ethics and so on so we we positively impact 15 out of 17 i know that there's a lot of companies that could try and tenuously link mm-hmm. link them together um but we're hoping to i was hoping to achieve all 17 by the end of this year and i set that as a around sort of march able time but i felt like i was just trying to force it to have that full deck mm-hmm. it's not the right time it shouldn't mm-hmm. be forced you should work it should just happen to it. as it as so you progress next year we'll achieve it there's no rush but we're we're doing the right thing that's amazing adam and it's like it seems so i mean from the launch the the full-on launch that you said you moved from kind of it was a side project to you're going all in 2019 it's it's not that long ago it's only four years so to be in 10 countries and achieved what you've achieved it's it's pretty remarkable. And along the way in your career, you've raised over $190 million. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. In all your... it's, it's $190 million, um, $150 million in the UK, $40 million um, in the UAE. And that's, but that's asset finance. So mm-hmm. when you start a business, you, you, sorry, when I start a business, I won't speak for everyone else, but you, I, I never wanted to raise capital. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to do this. You grow through sales, mm-hmm. really basic, keep it simple. Um, but I was naive. You do need to raise some capital, or at least to have access to mm-hmm. capital to then help your customers. Mm-hmm. We know that we're okay. We're asset light as an operation. Mm-hmm. Um, capital unintensive. I don't think that's a word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's making sure that our customers can afford it, which is one of our values, affordability. So if we can show that you can have a premium vehicle that you can afford regardless of your earning power that's through the intelligent finance we've been able to raise that in order to then help the gig economy in the uk help the fleet operators and the last mile delivery sector here and in every country we operate with all of our distribution partners we're really championing the financiers and the reason why we went down the asset finance route Mm -hmm. is we can draw on that capital as and when we need to Mm -hmm. or the customers can if you like but we don't have to dilute and that dilution of equity can be very expensive early on. You could make some mistakes. Mm-hmm. And although I never raised capital before 
you know, with one moto, before one moto, mm-hmm. um, it's incredibly important to have the access to, to, to that cash if you need it. as and when and if you or your customers need it. Mm-hmm. So as our customers said they, they needed it, we provide it. That's incredible. And I mean, I, I understand that's slightly different. I mean, a lot of founders or entrepreneurs seem to go straight into trying to raise. And do you have any advice given your experience on that? I mean, I know it depends completely on the industry that they're in and, and that's a massive factor. But just generally, I mean, do you think it's better to hold off and just? Yeah, I I do advise, mentor, guide, help, support um founders in various different stages of their career someone that wants to go mm-hmm. out and do it or how long you've been wanting to do that three years you haven't done it i, I say that as a entrepreneur like you want to do it but you just haven't mm-hmm. um for whatever reason you mm-hmm. may be a bit more risk adverse or, mm-hmm. or not so there is advice if you can do it yourself go for it mm-hmm. and if you can onboard a customer first then look after that customer like they're your child mm-hmm. for as long as you possibly can then you've you've really got something quite special to build on because word of mouth reputation so is massive. It's, it's everything. Yeah, it, it really is everything. And it's, the first customer isn't always going to be with you, but if you look after them, then they'll be with you a lot longer. And uh, it's when you go to raise raise capital, whether it's from VCs, you've got to look at all the different types of capital. If you're going to for venture capital, you need to understand what their well, mindset is. Are they looking for a 10, 20x exit in over three years? If you can't provide it, don't bother talking. Don't do it. Yeah. If you've got, if you need working capital, not everyone's going to fund that. And you do need to be in operation for a period of time before you can then start getting that working capital or trade finance, mm-hmm. you know, in various different guises of, of capital. Um, it depends on the, who you are as to how much risk you're prepared to take. I'm one of those that I've gone all in several times. Um, I've promised my wife that this will be the very last time I ever do it. Really? Absolutely. Do you think you're going to keep that word? I, I'll, I'll keep my word for sure. But it's, um, yeah, I, I've got more responsibilities now. Yeah. But it also makes you work incredibly hard. The nice thing is, or the empowering thing, I should say, it's not always nice, is once you've got, or once you've been given someone else's money mm-hmm. to make work for them mm-hmm. the responsibility is it's massive yeah it really is um, maybe not for everyone but for me certainly we did a crowdfunding campaign in 2020 incredible marketing exercise very scrappy way of raising money lots of conversations um like there was four whatsapp messages and the guy um, invested a hundred thousand dollars then there was three hour phone calls over a period of weeks and the guy invested five hundred dollars. Wow! But it okay. helps you really understand your business. That's so and the interesting. Of, and then you think, actually, let me ask you more questions as opposed to me just telling eighty or hundred people. Yeah, this is our business. So the advice God, is that's you can, really a good one. That's what a what a contrast. It's but, incredible. Yeah. And VCs see us as a, a is getting your narrative correct mm. is very very important. It's vital. Every VC, you give them a pitch deck, they'll have something to add on to it and it will constantly evolve. Mm. And I really do advise anyone that has your first, your first pitch deck, put it in a folder, come back to it in a year, two years, three years. You will be shocked and impressed of how much your business has changed. Has changed. But also, when you've got that great team, investors, anyone, will look at what that team can do. Mm-hmm. If they're supporting a the vision of the founder should mm-hmm. we say then 
that business that you start today will not be the one that you end up being, say, successful mm -hmm. or potentially folding. Mm -hmm. It will change. But if you've got that team that support that founder so well, then as there is a change through they need... Can, they can be that person to absolutely. change with. How did you find your team? I, I was very, very lucky. Relationships. Um, it took me 18 months. So our, my co-founder, Steve, he's, he's also the COO. It took me 18 months of conversations for him to just be tickled by the thought of One Moto. He was actually one of the first investors. And, uh, and after about 18 months, he wanted a career change. And we decided to, well, to, to join to the team. And that was about two, two or so years ago. And um, our head of tech doesn't come from that engineering um, EV background, but he's a super geek. And I've worked with him for seven years. So I offered yeah. him the opportunity. Mm. Um, there's various other people that have influenced. Um, you know, a guy that runs the business in the UK, I've known him for 25 years. He doesn't come from the same background, mm. but those skill sets are very interchangeable. So these are people that you had built up relationships yeah. with over a long time. Because you can go to a recruitment agent. I'm not mm. going to speak ill of them. No, but no. they're giving you a stranger. Yeah. And then you have to go through the personality fit and then go through the skill set. Of and course. You're yeah. reading a CV and I've, I don't think I've ever been inspired by a single CV because it's, I would like to work for a esteemed establishment or organization. Yeah. And it's the mission statement, crikey, it's the same thing. Give me the personality. Yeah, you want... Give me that personal recommendation. Mm. If it's someone I know, then I'll certainly give give you maybe a, I'll hear you mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just the noise that CVs. And you create. see their personality come off the page. I mean, like it's totally like a yeah. CV is not, doesn't give you a sense it, of no, the person or their personality, their, their work ethic or absolutely. Yeah. Their tenacity, especially when you're in a business that is going to require those kind of personality traits in a person to get it up and running. Cause you had so many challenges at the beginning. Yeah. And you, I suppose we're, we're now at the stage where we can employ experts mm. in a certain division. But when you're starting off, you're, you're doing everything. Yeah. And yeah. you need people with the same mindset that yeah. are prepared to get Roma sleeves up and, and get, get stuff Get their in. hands dirty, yeah. You don't need, you need a combination of employees and employers. Mm -hmm. You need the leaders, but you also need the management. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly important mm -hmm. to have that balance. Mm -hmm. So you don't want everyone to be so diverse that nothing really gets done. You no, need to focus yeah. with a... Yes, I can help you out here, or don't worry, I've got this. Mm -hmm. You know, I get it. Yeah, so it's really important. And and Adam, you said that you mentor a lot of people now, which is very generous of you, especially because you know you're building this incredible brand across the world. But I'd love to know about people who mentored you, you know, and sort of like growing up, or or you know, maybe not even necessarily mentors, but people that have guided you or you felt advised you to get to this point in your career i mean which is incredible what what you're doing i mean you spoke at cop this week um cop 28 in in dubai and uae and you know you're kind of at a really pinnacle point of, of your career um you've been described as the elon musk of motorcycles by media outlets but i'd love to know about people that influenced you to get to this point yeah this this conversation can run deep there's uh, i suppose everyone influences you one way or another good and bad but there are some really standout people um and i'll i'll, I'll leave sort of parents and family of course because they because, go without saying yeah yeah well hopefully they do for everyone but there was a when i was 16 school wasn't necessarily easy 
because I never really knew what I liked. I was good at art, but I didn't want to do it as a career. Mm. And uh, I get to 16 and in the UK, you have your UCAS university application. Okay. A great big thick book at the time. Is this like when you do your A-levels? Yeah, when you're okay. choosing your A-levels, what to do university. And I, I didn't want to go to university because I didn't know what where I fit. And I had a bit of a hard time. I was I was bullied. I didn't really know where I fitted. In. You were bullied at school? Yeah. Like badly or was it... Yeah, it was bad, bad, bad to me. And um, But there's no sob story with no, it. No, 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 I get it. Know, but that's a tough thing to go through. As things. A... And that's helped shape me. And uh, I get a bit emotional actually sometimes because it affects me so much of seeing anyone... Being bullied. Being bullied or hearing a slight tone of voice that could be different. Mm. And it makes me very conscious of my tone of voice. You know, I'm six foot five. I'm an outspoken guy. Yeah. If I was to say anything, it can be, well, I've been told it can be seen as intimidating, which mm. is really hurtful. But so you're very conscious of that. But anyway, moving well, on. I, I know that, notice that about you because I've actually known you for a very long time. Yeah. I used to work with you years ago and I always noticed that you speak in a very like kind gentle way so that you think that that came as a result of being kind of bullied yeah, as a kid there's a few there's yeah. a few instances that happened throughout my early life um that have definitely definitely played a part some of those very negative but also some of those of like, there's a positive in in everything mm. you'd like to think but yeah so when i was 16 i didn't know where i fitted and it was that time when it was careers advice day and there was a a guy called paul who um, sat in this room and he said, uh, so Adam, what are you, you, you going to do with your life? I said, I, I don't know. I don't really know where I fit. I don't really know what I'm good at. I know what I enjoy, but is there a career in it? And he said, well, why don't you, uh, what are you looking to study at university? I said, I don't think I'm going to go to university because there's nothing that really excites me. And he said, well, you should really get on in life. And by doing going to university, you'll be able to do that a lot easier. I said, well, what about not going to university? He said, well, what does your father do? He works in advertising. Why don't you go to university do an advertising degree? I don't really want to go to university. And every couple of questions, it was, I don't want to go to university. And he said, well, where do you see yourself by the time you're 30? And when you're 16, doubling your age, going, where you're do like, I be? You're like, that's old. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I'll be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And he chuckled. And I thought he must have heard it loads of times. And he said, well, how do you expect to do that without going to university and having a solid um, educational background behind you to support you and I said I, I don't know I don't believe this conversation is going to get me any closer either so I thanked him for his time shook his hand walked out and I thought what a waste of time that was but he actually influenced me because I thought I, I now need to know where I sit mm. in the world where I belong what I what I'm good at what I can do and really what those personality traits that could be lent to an industry an organization I, I mm -hmm. just had no idea but I'd also knew, known from making money, from setting up little businesses and parties and so on when I was a, a kid, I knew how to make money. I knew how to have everyone enjoy themselves because that made me feel good because mm. of the situation of, you know, I was being popular when I was unpopular, if you like. So he he very much influenced my life. and uh, That's crazy. And that around one, around yeah. the same time, so I failed my maths courses not maths, it was business finance and cash flow forecasting. So this was when I was nearly 18, leaving school, and the head of year came out to me, Mr. Ben Carr, if you're listening. Mr. Ben Carr. Yeah, he said to me, Adam, I hear that you're going to have a empire of businesses by the time you're 30. I said, yeah, I'll have something. And he said, but you've just failed your 
um, your business finance course? And I said, yep, for the second time, sir. <laughs> and he said, and you're not going to resit it? And I said, no, I've, I really have tried and it's just something I don't get. I, I just can't. I really, really have applied myself because no, I definitely don't like failing. And he, um, he said, well, how do you expect to, to get mm -hmm. on if you can't understand the real basics of business finance? So I, I said to him, I'll just employ someone that does. And it was such an honest answer. It was the most candid, most uncontrived answer because it's true. Just employ someone. It's, that just seemed easy. But then fast forward in a few years, it was actually one of the greatest people I met. It was, it was on a flight back from, um, from Spain. I'd just broken up with a girlfriend. Okay. And I manifested I wanted to sit at the front of the plane, the window seat. And it's free for all, right? In, I love in these stories about manifesting because it's so powerful. Yeah. And I, I got on the plane and I was very upset, really cut up. And the middle seat was available. So I was one seat away from getting it bang on. And I, I chuckled to myself, put my bag in the overhead cabin. And the, the guy said, oh, would you like to sit Cost. here because we're traveling together? There was two, like two other seats were occupied. Oh, so the other, his partner was sitting in the window. Then. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, and I, I then smiled and said, yes, please, that would be great. And I sat there with this great big smile on my face going, how did this happen? And there's lots of circumstantial of course. situations, right? And maybe it's fortuitous, maybe it's luck, maybe it doesn't exist. Who knows? But I, I believe in that energy. And um, about 20 minutes into takeoff, he, we introduced ourselves. And he said, can I ask why you were smiling when... Um, and so I told him the, the story. I said, what do you do? So, so Rex was his name. What do you do? And he said he takes people out onto yachts, uh, teams like corporate team building on yachts, whether you're a CEO of a business or a caretaker, they're all on a yacht. Everyone has a part, part to play. Everything is very, very important. Everyone has to play a part. And if you don't play a part, it really shows up and it shows a lot about your character, personality. So and it's so like on. a corporate exercise where they... Yeah give everybody roles that they yeah, have to so you compete. might have the ceo might of the business might not be the captain of the ship oh i see so okay. they change these roles and yeah. highlight the flaws and the characteristics and maybe this person needs a promotion because they're just overlooked but given the opportunity they, they they're a leader it was, so it's really incredible and he he asked me a question this is what really shaped me he said adam do you believe there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom i said i need a minute yes there is a difference but i don't know what it is so after about a minute, I said, yeah, I do. It's experience. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You can go to university, you can study everything, read every book, but it's only experience or the application of that then gives you wisdom. Mm. And it really stuck, struck home. I don't know why, why it really, really stayed with me. And then um, there was a few various other people. There was a, a cowboy called Casey Adams that I met in Vegas. A cowboy? Yeah, on a working <laughs> ranch in... Uh, in uh, Vegas that was, he's, he was singing songs uh, around the campfire. Uh, we we're all singing and uh, he sang a song in Japanese, just made this song up and he, he used to open up for Hank Williams and he'd put his two oh kids from university. Beautiful soul, really incredible human being. And, uh, and then there's a TV chef in the UK called Ainsley Harriet, um, who I used to work with. And he said, had you got to live your life in front of the camera? And that then changed my life Career. because I, I did. I had my own TV show. I did some various different presenting bits. Whether I was any good or not, I, but I absolutely loved it. You were. <laughs> and um, yeah, which then ends up shaping your confidence 
say in, in the camera or mm. on stage, you still get nerves. Of and, course. And that's a lovely thing. Well, say nerves, it's excitement and anxiety. Yeah. Same emotion, right? Just different yeah. acceptance of it. And then there's various different celebrities and, and having a random jam one night with a guitar and you've got the bass player of the brand new heavies that's singing along, he's singing backing vocals to me singing a Rod Stewart song and he knows Rod Stewart. Like all of these different mm. scenarios, but it's by putting yourself in those fairly uncomfortable situations, but being really accepting to those situations of come find the adventure, mm. come be maverick, say yes to more things than you say no to. And th th so you end up meeting a lot of people along the way. And what, I mean, those are some, those are some really eclectic collection of different people that have stuck in your mind to influence you. Is there one piece of advice that you feel shaped your career the most? Because you've done like quite diverse things. The bit of advice, I was 16 and I was sat in front of the TV in the UK watching a, a panorama. I think it was Channel yeah, 4. Yeah, panorama, panorama is like show. a documentary on different topics every absolutely. week. It's kind of hard hitting. Very, very yeah. journalistic, beauty, yeah. absolutely incredible. And uh, it followed this guy around called Andrew. He was homeless. He was an accountant. He had lost his wife and child um, oh. through having a nervous breakdown. And um, he was very, very successful. And he was walking around the streets. I think it was around February, very, very cold evening, early morning. And he was so articulate, so incredibly polite, well-mannered. And he, I thought, crikey, he's having a tough life how's so he, he so, became homeless how's he so lovely and he, he, he lost everything he lost his partnership he lost his family he lost his house he lost absolutely everything but he was still so, so wonderfully nice. humble and positive in a in a realistic way and it followed him to a soup kitchen and uh i'll never forget this it the you could hear his voice he said um there was cream of mushroom or minestrone soup and he asked for minestrone and the server gave him cream of mushroom. And he said, I'm terribly sorry, but um, I asked for minestrone soup. If, if you don't have it, that's fine, I'll, I'll leave this. And he walked back to the camera and you could see the faces of the people in the, in the kitchen were shocked. How could, just take it, you know, it was their face, facial expression. And he came back to the camera and he said, um, can I ask you why, why you didn't get anything to, to eat? Or why you didn't choose soup? He said, oh, um, they, they didn't have minestrone and uh, I'm allergic to mushrooms. So I'm, okay. you know, that, that was the reason. So he's gone from this incredibly high flying, important position with everything going for him. Um, and, and he said, there's one thing I've learned in life. It's nice to be important. But it's so incredibly important to be nice. And that stuck with me so much um, through through the darkest days that I've, I've had and I don't want to get too, you know, deep with it, but it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't mean anyone else has to share that with you, you know, so be nice. So that has really, really shaped me. I'd like to think, although I'd actually think nice is a very beige vanilla word yeah. to describe anyway. You thought, hope everyone's got more of a personality than, oh, he's nice or she's nice. Yeah. What else is there you like, can use to describe? But the, to be the kind. sentiment of being nice, being a good human, um, that stuck with me. Wow. That's a really good story about, about the guy, what, Anthony. Andrew. Andrew, Andrew. 
I wonder how you'd love to know. Like, wouldn't you? I've what tried happened? to find out for years. You've tried to find out just what his what story was, even when him. I worked in TV. So that's why I wanted to work in TV because I wanted to tell stories, make people feel from good. that documentary, from that documentary, and then from that, I, I didn't see it as a, a an ode to being bullied because it wasn't terrible that I went through. And yeah. I'm here now, but it it was definitely emotional. Crikey, and. And I thought he's gone through something where people have turned his back on him or he's turned his back on them and nervous breakdown. What is that? I, you know, don't understand it. And yeah, so I, I got into TV because of, because of, of that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's it. And it's just, it's this, these kind of stories that like, it's such a small thing. Like imagine if you hadn't seen it that night, but it's, you saw this program that had this profound effect on how you see things and, even how your character developed because of the type of person you thought I want to be after seeing that. Mm. So like you left seeing that piece of content, a different person than Very before much. you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's what I'm trying, I mean, el eliciting kind of wisdom or stories like that, I think can be hugely powerful to people. You know, it can really help them to maybe change their path or see things in a different um a different as a different in a different point of view you know yeah because there's so many ways of looking at something mm. or understanding the situation and there was uh there, i lost a property years ago um i bought a property in the uk bought a property in spain got cheated on that property by the developer i was in tremendous in spain. Debt. yeah okay and i uh i was in a downward spiral 18 months i was Deeply depressed. Was what? this when you were very young or like when you're 20? So in your 21. 20s. Okay, you were 21. very young. Okay. So I had two properties and at 20, nearly 23. But I'd not lost. many 21 year olds have two properties, you know. Yeah, my, um, my parents helped with the first one and then, you know, you, you, you find your like, way. So, uh, yeah, I was very, very depressed. And I was like, why? Why has this happened to me? What have I done to deserve this? It was very looking at that, that, that mindset. And I was, I was really, really upset. And it was a Saturday morning. I was in the cafe and I ordered a, a breakfast and I never used to take myself out. I'd always go out by myself or go out for breakfast. But when I was in this mindset, I never um, took myself out. And this, this lady came up to me, this Italian lady. And she said, um, I won't do the accent, but she was, uh, <laughs> she goes, what, why, why do you look so sad? I said, I was, you know, life deals you a bad hand every now and then, but, you know, I'll be all right. She goes, I don't really feel like you believe that. Can I sit down? Of course. And I don't know why, but I just opened up to this stranger. And I said, what is it? Do you and she said, do you believe in karma? I said, yeah, I do. And I can't understand. And I'm racking my brain thinking, what on earth have I done? Or is to there a past it. life to deserve this? And she said, maybe you're thinking about this differently or wrong. Karma doesn't have to work that way around. And I've gone, poof, mind exploded. It was like an aha moment. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone thinks, what have I done to deserve this? Not, okay, I'm in this situation. What greatness is around the corner? And a few days later, I was in, um, I always used to do the Sudoku. And it was every... What? what uh, uh, Sudoku. Oh, the game. Oh, the yeah, game, yeah, The number yeah. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. box game. And, uh, and I lived in North London and I would try and do it by five bus stops, three bus stops, you know, every okay. day trying to be quicker. And this this um, newspaper, right next to the Sudoku was the horoscope. 
and it said um, a little bit of blurb in, in at the start. And he said, remember, don't try and change anything in life. You're in control of the rest of your... So don't try and change anything as much as you may want it to. Um, you're in, remember, you're in control of the rest of your life. And it was just those two things. It was pouring down with rain. I got off the bus stop three, four, five um, stops early and I walked in the rain. And by the time I walked in my apartment, that was it. Life's changing, not being depressed. I'm going for it. And then a few years later, well, sorry, about a year and a half later, pay off all the debts and I land in Dubai. And you landed in Dubai. And we talked a little bit about Dubai earlier, about the the type of place it is that you you were saying that you felt that um I don't want to par I'm paraphrasing but I don't want that it sort of gave you the platform to become what you needed to be or what you were like kind of on that path but you it was the environment that you needed yes. to become what you yeah. want and Dubai Dubai was I wouldn't say sold to me it was presented to me by my uncle that used to live here and he said, you've got to come here, the opportunities, the people, the atmosphere, the life, the energy. I was like, right, let's go for it. So I shipped my stuff before I'd even come to Dubai. Mm. And uh, so that was on the boat and I, I flew over and and I landed here and I I just felt more at home. You got, you felt just at ease. Yeah, I did, yeah. Because the UK, the energy, the people, I'm not speaking badly. No, you know, no, no. It's a great, yeah. great place to be raised. You're fortunate in, well, I was very fortunate but there was there was something about the opportunities, not receiving them, but also being able to make them and create them for others. Mm. And uh, and the social aspects. Someone said to me once when I first arrived, "Never say no to a um, social invitation." And that really held true because that's building your network. I yeah. didn't really know the power of a network or appreciate it in the UK. And I was twenty eight when I came here, and. You know, it was, it was fun. You're out, you're, you're partying, you're meeting people. Didn't have a job, but I was going to find one. And then you become resourceful. And seeing how much Dubai was changing, you you can't you can't hide from it. No. You know, it's that Kaizen, the, the continual improvement, and everything's changing from the roads to the infrastructure, the government services to setting up a company. Whatever it is, everything's mm. constantly changing. And if you're okay with change, then you just absorb it mm. and it's a it's an incredible place to be a part of because that keeps your mentality fresh mm. of okay this is what it is now it might not be tomorrow but in business what That's you plan what... and what you what you achieve what you start and where you get to very very different. different things and and i think being accepting to change and welcoming it is is incredible but my mission with one moto is to actually bring change and how do you like considering that journey that you've been on um since you moved here and then looking back on everything that you've done, all the companies you've built, exited, and now you're on this mission with One Moto, how do you define success? I mean, you, you defined it when you were 16 as I'm going to be a millionaire by the age of 30. Yeah. And now, like, how do you define it now? Yeah, it's a lovely question. Someone else actually, it means a, a great deal to me, uh, gave me something once. I think it was by the, Dalai Lama and it, the quote was success is not the key to happiness happiness is the key to success if you love what you do you'll be successful mm -hmm. and um uh, it was a little bit fluffy but well I don't but know it's what kind of true. makes me happy yeah, yeah I don't know what makes me happy and and I get it but if you've got a bit of success what does that look like is it monetary is it having a a family 
Is it having someone that wants to hold your hand? Mm. Is it having your parents? Health. Health. Yeah. Parents actually like you. They're proud of you. The success is, uh, comes in so it's many different guises. So true. And it sort of changes. So my, I would say success to me now is financial freedom mm -hmm. to be able to to live without the worry or the concern of a paycheck mm -hmm. or money. Um, but that also, that financial freedom isn't in abundance, but it allows me to then help other people. Other people. That I would see as successful. And you have some pretty big goals about helping other people, don't you? I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the, the journeys that I'm, I'm on now is to take Andrew the homeless guy when, um, from when I was 16 and help the homeless. And I can do that with one moto. So my plan is um, in talks with a government or council, I should say, in the UK, where we can take these people that are, say, not of mainstream society, mm -hmm. homeless, might have been dealt a bad hand, might even have been self-inflicted. They may have been in a situation for months, years, variety of different ages and backgrounds and so on mm -hmm. but they're still human beings 100%. and if you can give them the chance to get back into society you need to do that with self-belief and you need to empower don't just listen to their story but actually do something with mm -hmm. it and there will be a vetting process um you know some will need rehabilitation in in some regard but imagine if you've had you've been on your your knees for quite some time say a few years mm. and with our bikes and with the gig economy and delivery industry growing um, at such a vast rate if you could train that person to ride a motorbike mm -hmm. give them that upskilling give them a bike to deliver on mm -hmm. they do a certain amount of deliveries every day they then get shelter and accommodation and food as by default they mm -hmm. have to obviously commit their their time and dedication mm -hmm. to being helps mm -hmm. and that's a that's a journey and after a period of time, might be a couple of years, you've made that person or given them the opportunity to be bankable, mm -hmm. to have that self-worth, to provide for their families, or even if they're still speaking to their families, show them that there's something, that person they knew that was lost for a period of time is still there. there yeah. And they're, they're really trying to, to do something about it. So fast forward a couple of years, once they've got money, so they've it will be paid onto a, say, prepaid card mm -hmm. where you won't be able to spend it everywhere because they might want to go and buy things that, you know, aren't necessarily going to help yeah. them out. But with other sustainably focused ethical businesses that will take those, take that payment mm -hmm. as a card, whether it's a pair of trainers or a sandwich or whatever it may whatever be. Whatever it is. Yeah. They, it's their money. They've earned it. So mm -hmm. they are, they, they can spend it however they want. But two years later, they walk into an office and they say to the HR person, I've been working for two years. I've been working two years, been self-employed. I've generated money. I've got. I've moved into a, an apartment that's closer to where I mm. where I am. Whatever it may be, um, that's putting them back into society. And I'm not saying everyone's going to be helped, but, but if you can it, help, you can help people. Um, and starting off in one council in the UK and then spreading that throughout the UK, hopefully that then becomes an organisation that one moto will be leading and heading um philanthropic maybe um certainly with impact and and then hopefully that can be deployed into other markets that really need it mm, 
that is incredible that's an amazing goal honestly and so I I agree with you about the you know even if it's self-inflicted I kind of believe the Gabor Masse thesis of if you're home you know people that are in that situation usually have had some very big trauma that yeah. You know, they just didn't have enough help or they weren't able to overcome you it. You choose that. Nobody wants to be in that situation, you know, that's so, and they just maybe need some help, yeah. you know. And, and if I can achieve that and you ask me the question, what is success? That, that would be, be success, answer. yeah. And Adam, just last question, what are you most proud of at this point in your life? That's probably the hardest question I've ever been asked. Um, that's a real challenge to to answer that. I don't know what Freud would say. If you can't answer what you're proud of, are you, are you humble? Don't be too humble because you're not that great. And I've performed two selfless acts over the years. One or for, for um, an ex and uh, a friend, which really gave me nothing at all. So that was a, that was a very special moment. Um, or a couple of times that was like self-sacrificing. Okay. But in order, so I was quite proud that I could do that. I suppose my pride, it comes from so without getting emotional, this actually happened. So I was living in London. My father came to visit me. And uh, we were walking down the street together. And he turned around and he, I wasn't there. He looked back. And I was sat on a step with um, a guy called Chris. I used to sell the big issue. And I'd always sit down and have a little chat with him. And my... <laughs> crikey. My dad said that is the proudest his... That defined his pride. So um, I suppose I'm proud of that. That's amazing, Adam. Thanks for sharing that because that, that's very profound. Who would have thought um, it would, final question, it would have ended there. But yeah, I'd say I'm proud of the character I am. That's a great one. That's a great example. And like to give people what you mean by that as well, about being kind and seeing, treating people everyone the same way when you you know as if you'd like how you'd like to be treated no matter what situation you're in yeah thank you thank you for coming here today and giving up your evening to i've absolutely loved it i didn't realize it was going to get so emotional <laughs> neither did i, I didn't so plan it. we I've said we'd just go ad lib it but... i've loved it and <laughs> it's beautiful to tell a story that i haven't told for years that's great and sharing that it, it's all part of your own tapestry isn't it yeah and uh, hopefully viewers listeners will sort of take take something i think so or just look at something different yeah I, slightly differently i really think i really think so and that's what i'm trying to do so i really um, appreciate that you gave your time and shared all of your stories tonight thank you Thanks, Pleasure. Adam. Thank you. And best of luck with One Moto. Be watching from the sidelines and see what's gonna, how great it's going to go for you for the next few years. Thank Good you. luck with everything. Thanks.